You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our senior pastor, Jeremy Havlett. Thank you for worshiping with us today. It really is an honor to be with you this morning. We're starting a brand new series today. It's called It Will Be Different. That's the title of this series. And it's a little bit of a different series. We have a problem at Renovation Church. It's a good problem, but it's honestly still a problem. We have experienced an incredible amount of growth in Simpsonville. But not just in Simpsonville. We have two locations. We have a location 20 minutes away from here in Greenville. And having been over there and seeing what God is doing there, we've actually run out of space in Greenville as well. So at both of our locations on Sunday mornings, we have been constrained with really not a lot of space to offer people who wanna make this their church. And so when you have visitors who have been coming to Renovation Simpsonville or even Renovation Greenville, because there's been a lack of space, let me give you something church-wise, ready? It used to be that they said when a church is 80% full, you would actually be turning people away because they didn't want to crowd around. If you've ever seen pictures of churches in like the 50s or even earlier, people were sitting in small chairs and they had no problem being squished. It's not like that today. I'll confess, you guys want to hear a little battle that goes on between my wife and I in a really funny way? On Sunday mornings, I want a cushion and a half of space. I don't just want a cushion. I need a cushion and a half. I need a space for my Bible. And so my wife and I has graciously given me now two cushions on Sunday morning. It's inching away from me and it's been kind of a thing. So I'm like, yes, space. And so even though there might be seats available in here, several times, many times in this last little bit, we've had no space in our parking and people have a hard time squeezing in. We are well beyond 80% capacity in Simpsonville. And in Greenville, we've run out of room. Completely we have. And so we have two locations that have experienced a tremendous amount of growth and it's been awesome to see what God has done. But the truth is, is that we're constrained and now people are just not welcome because we don't have the space for them. And so what I'm gonna do in this next series, it's a little bit different, is I'm actually gonna share with you very concisely what we believe the Lord has called us to do and what our growth strategy looks like and how we think the Lord wants us to move forward and how we believe the Lord wants us to navigate going into the future. This is a culture and vision series. And the next two Sundays, not today, but the next two, I'm gonna actually give you very specifically what our next steps of a church are gonna be looking like and how that's gonna impact the way we go about doing things. And so we're gonna surround culture into this. Um, if you, any kind of environment, let me just say this. A lot of times in church world, what they talk about is you have to have really good vision. It's always vision, vision, vision. Now, I'm a vision person. It's one of the giftings that God has given me. I have, because of the Lord, given me vision. I love vision, but I've learned something having done this now for a long time. Vision is wonderful, but if the culture is unhealthy, you're almost gonna go nowhere. And I've learned something that culture is almost the most important thing that you can have. That if you can have a good, healthy culture, then when the vision comes in, you can accomplish a lot of things. And so to me, it makes no sense just to talk about where we're going without first talking about what I believe is one of the most important things, and that's who we are called to be. In fact, that's the title of the message today is simply this, who matters most? 
So not today, but the following two Sundays. And this is kind of a nuts and bolts series. This is a chance for me to share my heart with you in terms of where we're going and what this looks like for two locations and what God is doing. And I'm just gonna just share my heart with you about where we believe God is. So, so a little bit different if you're visiting with us. Thank you for visiting with us. I encourage you to come back. But these next couple of weeks, it's me talking to you as your pastor and sharing with you and giving you a glimpse as to where we are going as a church. And I'm gonna challenge you. I'm gonna challenge you to join in. If this is where God has called you to be, that this would be a place that you can say, okay, God, this is, this is where I can actually dive in full steam ahead. Now, who matters most? So today we're gonna be talking about culture and who I believe God has called us to be. So let me start off this way by saying a statement. Again, this is a little bit different. This is not a normal message necessarily. This is a nuts and bolts talking about us as a church. So I'm gonna start off this way. Let me share with you a very simple thought that is not simple, but is impacting almost all of the decisions and so many things of what we were doing as a church. Ready? Now this seems simple, but this impacts a ton, a ton of things. We all know, at least we assume we know, that church is not a building. We get that. That the church is people. But here's the simple thought, ready? While we understand that the church is not a building and the church is people, let me give you another simple thought, ready? Church is also not a Sunday morning service. I know that feels a little bit weird because we would think, well, we're gathered together on Sunday morning. When we gather together, that's the church body coming together to celebrate God, to worship God, to encourage each other and to challenge each other. But make no mistake, church is not a Sunday morning service. Now this shift is absolutely massive. If you go to any church conference about how to grow a church or build a church, it all centers around how to make the Sunday morning experience good so that people can feel welcome and loved and encouraged and go about their day. I am all for Sunday morning being good. We wanna have an exceptional kids program back there. We wanna have awesome worship. Why? Because God is awesome. So he's worthy of our praise. We wanna have not boring preaching with a preacher who doesn't go over his time limit every single week. Someone needs to talk to the senior pastor about that. We want to have those things. Come on. We wanna have those things. We wanna welcome people well. We don't want anyone to come into church and we just stare at them. And here's the thing, we tend to think that size of church determines these things, right? We think, well, you know, large churches aren't very welcoming or because they're just so big. I'm here to tell you something. I've been to small churches that aren't welcoming either. You go in there, you're like, what are you doing in here? You're like, well, I'm just, and it's more obvious in small churches. So this isn't, this isn't a size thing. This is a strategy thing. And I have learned, ready? Listen to me. Church is not a Sunday morning service. And because we've made church a Sunday morning service, it, we just, it happens this, ready? Well, where do you go to church? I go to somewhere. So, and we talk about where we attend. And because we think a church is a place that we attend instead of actually who we are, we've made it so that we don't have to be responsible in the areas that God has called us to be responsible for. We've put the onus on, well, and, and then you know what we do? Well, that church doesn't meet my needs or doesn't operate in the way I think that they should, so I get offended and I'm gonna leave. And most church growth happens because of church hopping, because the pastor wore a sweater that was green on a Sunday morning with an undershirt, and you're like, what's he doing up there? I've heard people talk about how pastors only having an anointing when they have beards. This is true. Or pastors only have an anointing when they're shaved. That's the Christian world that we live in. And we, we get offended and we go from place to place because we've made church a place that we attend. Now all of a sudden we've removed the responsibility of being what God has asked us to be. 
Church is not a Sunday morning service. You, right where you are, are the church. And do you know what happened in COVID? All the people who made church a place that they attend stopped coming because they're like, I like my Sunday mornings. This is kind of nice. Because the onus has been on, well, I'm just gonna go if it's good. And then we go from place to place and I'm here to, listen, hear my heart from the bottom of my heart. When you look at the Bible, when Paul describes the church, he doesn't describe a church service. You know what he describes? He describes the body. He describes different parts that belong and, and, and are intertwined and work together. And when I look around this room, I see all kinds of people with all kinds of stories, with all kinds of different giftings and things. There's people in this room who are gifted at making money. You don't know how it came to be, but you just have this knack for turning a dollar into two or five into 10. There's people in this room who have a gift of administration. That's 100% not me. I don't have a gift of administration. I stress people who are administrative out of their minds because I'm like, ah, we'll figure it out as we do it. But there are people in here that are so gifted at being administrative that they're like nuts and bolts. They're like, well, okay, we're gonna have this event. Well, how many cups do we need and who's gonna plan the food? I'm like, ah, we'll figure it out. They're like, no, let's figure it out now. You have administrative people who are gifted in the church. We have people who know how to worship the Lord and who can do their giftings. You know, this is... Our worship team is not paid on stage. It's all volunteer. They come early and they, they lead worship. We have people in this place that have the gift of empathy and hospitality that when someone goes through a crisis, you know what? They show up and they come alongside of you and they walk with you. In this room right now are all kinds of giftings. Now think about it this way. If church is only a service on a Sunday morning, that means there's, there's only a few people using their giftings for the whole church body and a whole lot of people who are going about their lives not serving the Lord. So the question is, what do we do? And how, how do we navigate through this? And so our growth strategy hinges on this massive principle. Let me put it to you another way, ready? Christianity is not meant to be a spectator sport. No wonder why the church is decreasing in size. No wonder why people feel unpassionate towards following the Lord because we've made this thing, Christianity, a place that you can attend instead of actually being who God's asked you to be. So as the Lord has been working in Renovation Church, we've said enough is enough. The challenge is how do we allow how do we get, how do we do these things in a way where people can work and operate as the body of Christ of all of their different parts? You may not think about your pinky toe, but you need your pinky toe. You may not think about your armpit. Maybe you did when you put deodorant on this morning, but guess what? You need an armpit. These are all parts of the body that we don't think about. We only tend to think about the ones that get the most visibility. And as a senior pastor of this church, I'm telling you, we need the whole body to work and work together. And we need to stop viewing churches. Oh, I go to church. No, I am the church. That's the biblical approach. And so with this, let me start off with a very simple statement. Ready? And we're called to more. You, you are called to more. What we do is we put the onus on those who are professional Christians to do a lot more. I'm here to tell you something. No, no, no. When you open up the Bible and you read it, you are called to more because you are the church. All of us were called to more. We're called to do something with our lives so that when we die, we leave the world better than how we entered it. We're called to actually serve God. Now, does it mean that you join full-time ministry? No, it doesn't mean that, but it does mean that the giftings God placed inside of you are not meant to be wasted. And how many people 
go to church and then don't use the thing that God has placed inside of them for the benefit of the kingdom. No wonder the church is losing ground. People come alive. Listen, you can be a plumber, but you can also be a servant of God. You can be an attorney, but be a servant of God. You can have a business and still be a servant of God. Why? Because all of us are called and gifted for the sake of the body. So our growth strategy is this, body, let's come alive. We have a lot to do and God's called us into it. But I wanna talk about who we are first. All of us are different. All of us are wired differently. And so I wanna talk about, well, who are we called to be? So I wanna actually give a spiritual example about being called to more. A spiritual example number one is this. I'm gonna talk about this. Joseph, Genesis 37 through 47. Actually, I think it's Genesis 37 through 50. If you wanna read, you, you grew up, if you grew up in church, you were in Sunday school, you heard about Joseph, the coat of many colors. Even if you didn't grow up there, you might've heard it preached about Joseph who was this young guy who his brothers did not like and they got jealous of because he was the baby of the family and he got treated the absolute best. I have a four-year-old son who this morning came downstairs and was talking to uh, my wife and I because his, it was his brother's, actually it's his brother's birthday today, but we celebrated it yesterday and his brother got some new toys and he's upset because those new toys are not his new toys. And so he asked us if his toys magically disappeared if we would have to get him all new toys. We're like, it doesn't work that way, my man. And, and, and so I can only imagine in our family context if our baby son got all of the attention and we ignored our first two kids, how that would go over. It wouldn't go over well. And the story of Joseph is a story of a guy who got the attention, he got the glory, and his, his brother did not like it at all. But here's the thing. God gives Joseph a dream. He says, hey, listen, all your brothers, they're gonna bow down to worship you. Can you imagine him communicating that dream? They already don't like him. He's like, hey guys, I wanna tell you something. All of you guys are gonna bow down to me. Whoop, whoop. They're like, heck no. There's no way I'm gonna let this little snot rule over me. Yeah, come on, brother. This is not gonna happen. So God gives him this dream of what's gonna come down the pipe. And his brothers are like, no. So what did they do? If you read the story, you can read it. And I put the, 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 um, the references there. You can read it. God tells Joseph where he's going to go and what's gonna happen to him. But the very next thing in Joseph's life is that he gets sold into slavery. He gets thrown into a pit. His parents are told that he's dead and he gets sold into slavery. And then, by the way, he goes, he's from a part of, he gets part of Potiphar's house. He's serving in that house really well in Egypt. And then what happens? He goes back to jail. So God gives him this promise about where he's going to go. And the very next thing in his life is almost the opposite of what is actually happening. So there's a really important spiritual principle here. Really, really important. I'll explain it this way. When I was in college, I went to school in Indiana. That's where I studied. My parents were living in Central America and Nicaragua at the time. And so I had to book my airplane flights from Indiana to Central America. And whenever you travel a lot, if you've ever traveled on plane a lot, you know that it's very hard to book direct flights. That you have to go to where the airplanes have hubs. And several times from Indiana in the Midwest of the US, flying to visit my parents, I would book a flight and it would fly me from Indianapolis to Newark, New Jersey. Lord have mercy. <laughs> if you look at a map, Nicaragua is straight down. Newark is out of the way and it's also Newark for the love of all that's holy. And so it extended, I'm like, why can't I? It's amazing how these flights, they, they just work. 
in order to go south, I have to go east. So I'm like, this is miserable, but that's just how the flight plans work. It's an incredible thing. There's very few times you get a direct flight. In fact, if you've ever booked a direct flight and you get it, you're like, I got a direct flight? This is the, it's like a miracle. You're like, ah. Oh. There's no direct flight. So I would, and it just would make the travel time longer. That's just how traveling works. You go to where the hub is and if the hub is out of the way, they don't care. I went and lived over in Europe and in order to fly to Europe, I had to go from the East Coast to the Midwest to get my flight out of Chicago to then go back over to Europe. It added hours, it's miserable. So Joseph has this calling and instead of actually immediately doing the calling, you know what happens? He goes backwards. He gets sold into slavery. The opposite happens. Instead of actually being someone that people bow down to worship, he becomes someone who has to serve as a servant in other people's households. I'll give you a New Testament example, Peter. Jesus, Peter makes his declaration in Matthew. He says, he says Jesus, you're, you're, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then what does Jesus do? You read the story, I put the reference in there. He looks at Peter and says, Peter, I'm gonna tell you something. Your name is no longer Simon. Your name is now Peter, which means rock. And you are gonna be the rock on which the church is built. It's this incredible moment in which Jesus changes his name from Simon to Peter, which in the Greek is Cephas. Sounds powerful, except you read about Peter and he wasn't a rock. In fact, he denied Jesus and he is a hot mess of a, it's incredible. You look at Peter and again, it's like this declaration is made about who he is and guess what? That's not who he is yet. So let me give you an unbelievably important spiritual principle that matters in getting us to where we need to go. The spiritual principle is simply this. A lot of times God will put something on your heart about where he wants to lead you and who he wants you to be, but there are times in which it feels like you go in the opposite direction of where you're going. Why? Because God is wanting to refine you on the inside. That's why. Why did Joseph not immediately be someone that people bowed down to worship? Why? Because God had to work in Joseph's heart. Why was Peter not completely a rock when he declared it? Because Jesus was still working on Peter's heart and his life. He wasn't immediately who he was called to be yet. And so the reason why there's not always a direct flight somewhere is because what God is doing is while you're going in the opposite direction of where you think you need to go, you know what God is doing? He is working on the inside of your life. Why? So that when you get to where God wants you to be, you are the person that God has asked you to be from the beginning. This is the part of Christianity which is hard. And I can make an argument that almost any person in the Bible that God has used has gone on detours so that God can work on their heart. Because what good is it to put you in a place if your heart is not ready for it and you jack everything up? I know in this room there are dreams that have gone silent because God has placed something on your heart but your life has gone in the opposite direction of what you wanted or thought it should be. And here's what I'm gonna tell you something. You have to embrace the journey that God has for you because he's working on the inside to get you ready for where he wants you to be. So the question is, who does God want us to be? And even though all of us are different in how we're wired, there is one thing that God wants all of us to be. So those who are good at making money or those who are great at administration or those who are good at worship, all of the giftings that we have in this room, there should be one common theme that all of us have in common that should affect who we are as individuals. And it actually comes from, the, or the name of the series come from who we believe God asks us to be as a people. And it's a, a story in Matthew chapter 20 and you see it all throughout the New Testament. It's a story in Matthew chapter 20 where Jesus is talking to his disciples and we're gonna read, ready? Matthew chapter 20, 24 through 28 says this. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant, but Jesus called them 
together and said, you know what the rulers of this world lorded over the people and the officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, and here's a series, it will be different. Among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be your leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your, become your slave. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let me give you another verse. This is Jesus a couple chapters later in Matthew 23, 11. The greatest among you must be your servant. Out of all the gifts and talents that God has placed in this room, all of us are called to be one thing. Ready? We're called to be God's servant. We're called to have a life of service where we give our life away as servants. Let me give you a, a simple, let me give you a simple thought. Ready? Jesus always leads us to embracing a servant's heart. Always leads us to embracing a servant's heart. My wife and I lived in Nicaragua for five years and we had no air conditioning in our house. This is a story I've shared with you in the past, but I, it's pretty funny. So while I was visiting here in some similar in the States, in order to solve my dilemma of it being a thousand degrees in Central America and having no air conditioning, I bought seven fans from Walmart in Simpsonville. Upright fans. I packed all seven fans in suitcases and took them down there. And my goal was to have a fan in each room so I didn't have to lug a giant fan around everywhere. Plus, these weren't expensive fans. We were missionaries, but we saved the money, got my seven fans, and I loaded them on suitcases. And sure enough, went to Nicaragua, went back to be home, and unpacked from the suitcases seven fans with all of their things. And as I laid all the pieces out, I had seven of them to assemble. I started assembling them. And I get to the first fan, I start assembling the first fan. The, the first fan, that's a separate thing. That's an, anyway, the first fan. Flan is a food, by the way, hallelujah. Just the Freudian slips of just food and don't. Anyway, right, anyway. come on, I'm just getting hungry already. It's not good. All right, assembling the first fan. And, and I, I put it together and I get to the part where you put the, um, the actual blades on there and then you have to screw on the cap. And you've heard this, or at least some of you have heard this story before. My entire life, righty tidy. That's how you tighten something. Righty tidy, lefty loosey. So when you tighten something, you go righty tidy. So I start screwing the cap in, but it's not going in. And I cannot believe that the cap is not going in to the fan. Now, at this point, by the way, it's a thousand degrees. I've been sweating assembling the first fan, and I come to realize that the first fan that I bought from the Walmart and Simpsonville is defective because it's not screwing in. And then I'm like, I'm 8,000 light years away from the Walmart in Simpsonville. There's no way I can return this thing. So I just like, in my frustration, throw that fan to the side. I assemble the next one. I get to the blade. I put the blades in. Then I put the cap on. And the cap on the second one is not screwing in either. And at this point, missionary Jeremy is having a hard time not saying some words. There was not good declaration. Sweat is coming down from my face. I have seven fans and I'm looking at myself, are all seven defective? I can't believe this. <laughs> my entire life, it's been righty tighty, lefty loosey. And then I read the instructions. <laughs> and because the fan blade rotates a certain way, the threading on the cap on a fan is the exact opposite so that when the fan is rotating, the cap doesn't fly off. And they say, in order to tighten the cap, you must turn it counterclockwise. You stupid cap on the stupid fan. <laughs> my entire life shattered in front of my eyes. 
righty-tighty, and here I am, and it's actually lefty-tighty. Now listen to me. It is. It even sounds weird, doesn't it? You're like, uh-uh, that's weird. Yeah, that's exactly what I said. Lefty-tighty, righty-loosey. It doesn't make sense. We live in a selfish, obsessed culture. We do. So do the disciples. We are righty-tighty people who serve a God who does the things opposite than we do. He is lefty-tighty. And he challenges his disciples. He goes, you, it will be different for you. When the world makes it all about them, you are gonna be different. Among you, it will be different. Let me put it to you this way. In a world that is obsessed with platforms and influence and who has the most and who has the best, God says to you, the church, among us, it will also be different. It will not be about who's the most important, who's the best dressed, who has the most influence. It will be about the greatest in the kingdom of God is what? The servant. And somehow we miss it. Even in the church, we miss it. We make rock stars out of people. We make celebrities out of people. And I'm here to tell you something. It misses the power of the gospel because the greatest in the kingdom of God is the servant. We are a righty-tighty people serving a lefty-tighty God. So how do we shift in our thinking? Well, there's only one way. We embrace this path that God has called us into of being servants. You will never follow Jesus and be able to keep your life. I'm gonna say that again. You cannot follow Jesus and keep your life the way you want it. It's not possible. You can follow your version of Jesus who's all about making you happy but you can't follow the biblical version of Jesus who said this, take your cross, follow after me. You can't until you embrace this path that God's called us. And here's the thing, God gives us unbelievable examples in scripture. Let me just go down the list of just several examples. Jesus himself, he didn't ask us to do anything that he wasn't willing to do. We're gonna talk about Jesus further on in this, later on in this series. Jesus, you know, apart from giving his life away on the cross, you know one of the things he did? He washes his disciples' feet. You read Philippians chapter two, it says Jesus didn't consider it something to be grasped to have equality with God and he humbled himself and he walked on this earth. So he came as an example of what it means to serve and not be served. That's one example. Let me give you some more. Ladies, here's some examples for you. Mary, the, the person who we talk about at Christmas time, her world gets turned upside down when she finds herself pregnant with the Son of God. And do you know what Mary says after she finds this out? She says, let it happen to your servant as you want it to be. She looks at herself as God's servant and because of that, she says, may it come to be with God's servant as it is. And Mary takes on the position of a servant. Let me give you another woman in the New Testament. Her name is Anna. Anna is a widow who was married for seven years. Her husband died. She lived to the age of 84 and for all of her days, she spent it in the temple praying and, and, and prophesying and worshiping in the temple day and night, day and night. And when Jesus' family comes, she sees them and is blown away at seeing this fulfillment of prophecy. Anna, for her entire life, is serving in the church. Let me give you another one, ready? Stephen, New Testament. Stephen is a guy who ends up getting martyred. He ends up dying because of his faith. Stephen is someone who has an incredible message where he stands up and preaches and proclaims the gospel and he's stoned as he's making these declarations. In fact, Stephen has a vision while he's being killed. This is in Acts chapter seven. If you wanna read it, it's incredible. As he's being killed, he looks up, he sees heaven and he sees something that you don't see really anywhere else in scripture. He sees Jesus not sitting at the right hand of the father. He sees Jesus 
standing at the right hand of the Father. Always he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Stephen gives his life away as a martyr and he delivers this incredible message. But do you know what Stephen's job was in the early church? Do you wanna know what his job description was? It wasn't holy apostle to all the nations. Do you know what his job was? He cared for the widows and the orphans. He served. He waited tables. That's Stephen. Let me give you another example, Paul. Paul who wrote some incredible books in the New Testament. If you read Paul's actual words, he calls himself a bond servant for the sake of the gospel. Paul's incredible. Now listen, 10 years before Paul dies, 10 years before Paul dies, he writes these words and he says this. He says, I'm the least of the apostles. You can read it. Three years before Paul dies, he says that he's the least of all the saints. And then one year before Paul's death, he's writing about himself. Do you know what he calls himself? The chief of sinners. And you watch Paul go on this journey of becoming less and less and less so that Christ can be more. He starts off as least of the apostles, then he's least of the saints, and then he is the chief of sinners because it's less about him and more about Christ. The question is, with all these examples, why? Why, why, why does this matter? Let me read a passage of scripture for you real quick, ready? For God, this is Paul writing in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, for God who said, let there be light in the darkness has made light shine in our hearts so that we would know the glory that God, so that we would know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not for ourselves. Do you know why God mandates that we would become servants? Because our goal is not to point attention to ourselves, it's to point attention to the source of all healing and hope, and his name is Jesus. We are like fragile clay jars. It is not about us. We are the bride of Christ, the church, whose job it is to say the groom, the king, the one who gave his life, he spoke light into existence and he spoke life into our hearts. And because of what he did here, we turn around and say, we give it back to him. He is the one who was good. He is the one who is worthy. I wanna end with a quote and then some stories. I want you to think, how does God, how does Jesus rule his kingdom? How does God rule his kingdom? This quote comes from N.T. Wright. He says this. He says, think about the way that God rules. He doesn't do it by sending in the tanks, but by calling the servants. For where we are going, church, with all the giftings and things that God has asked us to, in next two Sundays, I'm gonna explain to you where we're going as a church. And church is not a Sunday morning service. Sunday morning matters. It's a really big deal, but this is not the church. You are the church. Where we're going is huge and really, really significant. But who God has asked all of us to be, all of us, without exception, from the youngest to not the youngest in this room, he's called us to be his servants. To not make it about ourselves, but to give our life away. This last Christmas, when it was like Arctic levels of cold, you guys remember? It was freezing. It manages to rain when it's warm and then only be cold when it's, no. anyway, I was wanting one good snow this year. I don't think it's gonna happen. But over the Christmas weekend, when we had the Arctic chill come in, came in, our pipes froze at our house. And on Christmas morning, our pipe burst at like six in the morning. 
My thought the water had thawed. My wife thought the water had thawed and that the water heater was working well. I immediately was suspicious that the pipe burst under the house and the sound we were hearing was water gushing with joy underneath. So I crawled underneath our crawl space and sure enough, the moment I went down there, water was gushing out. I was like, glory to God in the highest. Preached the night before Simpsonville. It was an awesome night. Here we are, it's freezing. I'm under the house, water's gushing out. We have a guy in our church who's a plumber. I hated it. I, I was like, who do I call? What do I do? I don't have a water key to turn the water off. But I called our plumber. He answered. I was like, listen, man, can I borrow your water key? I'll drive to your house. I just need to turn the water off at our house. He's like, I'll meet you somewhere. I was like, seven, on Christmas morning. I was like, fine. So he met me. He didn't, doesn't live close. So he met me at a gas station. I went home, put my, I, I turned my water off in my house. And then we were just not gonna have water in the day. While I was getting the water key, my wife was filling up the bathtub so we would have water to flush the toilet and for Christmas day stuff that day. I didn't even think about it. That day we had no water in our house, but fortunately the water had been turned off. Well, that afternoon slash evening, he calls me back. He says, hey, can I come to your house and, and, and fix this? And I was like, well, what are you doing on Christmas doing out? And... He said, well, I just finished helping somebody else in Simpsonville, so I'm out. I'd like to be able to come by and do this. And so he came by on Christmas Day and he fixed the break in our house. I asked him for permission to share this stuff. Here's the thing that I know about him because he's a good buddy of mine in the church. You would never know that he does this. He's a plumber by trade, but what does he do? He cares for seniors in our community by serving them. He creates baskets on Easter and Christmas. He started with 22 seniors and he just drops them off and he delivers them at their house. The reason he came to my house on Christmas day was because he had just finished fixing a lady's pipe. She's 88 years old and she was released from the hospital Christmas Eve to her house. Her pipe burst and she could get a hold of nobody to fix it. So what did he do? He showed up on Christmas day of an 88 year old woman whose husband is 92 and he fixed their leaky pipe on Christmas day. And while he was out, he said, I'm gonna come by your house. I said, I told him, I said, the way you live brings conviction in my life. So do you wanna tell me who I think the greatest in the kingdom of God is? It's the people who serve without needing to be asked because God doesn't call the tanks. He doesn't call just the ones who have it. He calls those who say yes, who don't mind being behind the scenes, who don't need the glory. Why? Because the kingdom of God is not about us. It is about him. The light that shines, shines. And that's why the church can't be a Sunday morning service. Church has to be showing up at someone's house when their pipes burst. It means showing up when there's a death in the family. It means caring for someone when they're at their worst. That is the church. You are the church. Shame on us for making it a Sunday morning. We've limited what God can do because we are fragile clay jars in a world that needs light. I'm deeply passionate about this because I see what a world would be if we would be the servants that God asks us to be. There are so many broken people. You don't even have to drive a mile from here to find them. There's broken people in here. And we make it about us. When there is a king who came to give his life to redeem and buy us back. So I'm here to call you. Stop spectating. It's time to do something with your life. It's time to make it better than the way you found it. It's time for you to stand up and be the man or woman God's asked you to be. The kingdom of God is not a game. 
There is so much at stake. You will only come alive in the fullness of what God has for you as you begin to embrace the calling he has over you and with you. And I believe that where God is leading us, you have a part to play. The body needs everybody. And there's no longer any excuses to be on the sideline. Not age, not background, not even how much you've messed up because God is able to redeem all things. And the way you've messed up when God turns you around will only be using to help someone else who's been where you've been. So I'm gonna pray for us and we're gonna be done with service. I don't want you coming to church anymore. I want you to be the church. No more sidelines. No more easy path. No more easy out. No more excuses. Let's pray. King, I pray your Holy Spirit brings deep conviction on all of our hearts. Shame on us for making church about us. Shame on us for fighting over who's more important or who has the most stage time or who gets what. None of that matters. We are just fragile clay jars. In fact, you led the way. You said among us, it will be different. We would give our life away. We would serve. We would care. May we be the men and women who embrace being servants, regardless of how you gifted us, regardless of what talents you've placed in us, regardless of how you have blessed us. May we be men and women who say, God, what you have given me is for you to have back. And we use it to serve so that your kingdom would bring hope, light into dark places. People would be redeemed and transformed and turned around. So Jesus, we thank you for all that you've done and what you're doing. May you call us into service as your body. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for all that you're doing. In your precious name we pray, amen and amen. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.